This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and negative cultural values, including patriarchy, sexism, classism, and homophobia. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 364. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 15 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor and Delphinia returned to House Drowling's ski chalet, accompanied by Araba, the court wizard for Duke Thomas. Araba has a plan to blow up the mind control spell at work in the chalet, which the Drowlings have been using to twist the thoughts of the counselors from the centrist faction. Their goal is to turn the counselors away from supporting the succession reform bill that has been advanced by Countess Harcourt. Lord Tyrrell, a war hero and Lord Bellevue's elder cousin, is also in on the plot, for both ideological and personal reasons. If the reform bill passes, Tyrrell's son Graham will be replaced by Honor as the scion of House Bellevue. Ereba's plan depends on triggering the counterspell at a time when the Drawling's mind magic is actively in use. Lord Tyrrell was supposed to give a big speech after tonight's dinner, and our heroes reasoned that that would be the moment when the Drawlings would make their big push to sway the audience to their side. While Ereba hid outside under a veil, Honor carried the counterspell's trigger into the main lodge. She watched the Drawlings carefully, during the dinner and then during Tyrrell's speech, waiting for the moment when they would use the spell. But the speech turned out to be much shorter and more banal than our heroes had expected. Tyrrell didn't raise any arguments against the succession bill, only hinted at it in passing. The Drowlings didn't reach for their casting implements to activate the spell. As Tyrrell began to leave the stage, Honor realized that they had miscalculated. There was no need for a big push during the speech, because the Drowlings had been conditioning their guests gradually all weekend, a little at a time. The mind control has already been done. Honor realized she had only seconds to act, so she leapt to her feet and shouted, "'Cousin Tyrrell, you are wrong!' Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams 
narrated by Vivian Ferrari. Chapter 14 Chapter 15 The Challenge The room fell into a sudden, shocked silence. Honor was watching Cousin Tyrrell carefully, so she saw the moment when he froze in mid-step, the tension that filled his posture. She saw him debating whether to keep walking, to pretend he had not heard. There were so many things the older nobles handled by pretending not to see, not to hear, not to know. She did not give him the chance. Did you hear me, cousin? She called, raising her voice even louder. You are wrong. From behind her, she felt her father's broad hand settle on her shoulder gently but firmly, reaching across the table. Honor, dear, this is not the time or the place for this. His voice was low, but the command in it was unmistakable. Honor stepped away from the table, shrugging off his hand in the process. Several people around her gasped audibly. She did not look back at him, but raised her voice to address the crowd. I am well within my rights, father. I have been insulted and demeaned in public, before my fellow lords and ladies. Lord Drowling, as your guest in this house, I demand satisfaction. More murmurs. At the front of the room, Honor could see Lord and Lady Drowling watching her intently, their mouths pressed into tight lines. Honor's words had put them in a bind, and they knew it. They had allowed Tyrrell to organize and host this event within their home, and as such, they were partly responsible for his conduct. Now that Honor had declared a challenge against him, they would have to allow her grievance to be heard. The challenge would not end until Tyrrell apologized, or Honor withdrew it. If neither one of them would back down, the matter would be referred to the Council of Peers for their judgment. The polite way for such a challenge to be resolved was for the offended party to explain their grievance and give the offender the opportunity to amend their statement to correct the misunderstanding. Whether the person had, in fact, been misunderstood was beside the point. This fiction allowed the offensive words to be taken back while both parties saved face. Perhaps in expectation of this, Tyrrell turned stiffly around and bowed his head slightly to honor. My dear cousin, he said again with that patronizing smile, I assure you, no insult to you was intended. Perhaps you should explain what part of my speech has you so exercised. Honor gave him a tight little smile of her own, raising her chin at him. It was the sum of many parts, cousin. First, you mocked me and Lady Delphinia for being too adventurous and getting ourselves lost in the woods. Then you said we needed to be rescued by brave men. And then you as much as said that we should repay them for their heroism, with both our time and our womanly affections. On all three points, you are wrong. And in the bargain, you have grossly insulted both our competence and our character. Well, Tyrrell said, that certainly was not... I am still speaking, Honor said, cutting him off calmly but firmly. 
Several people around Honor gasped. She kept her eyes fixed steadily on Tyrrell. If she stopped to look around at the reactions of the others, her nerve might break. After a long, brittle silence, Tyrrell made a small, permissive gesture with one hand. Honor held up a finger. On the first point, you spoke about being adventurous as if it were something unfortunate, a flaw in our character. Yet our victory in the last war depended on the adventurous spirit of our soldiers, facing death and hardship in distant lands. We tell stories of adventure to our children, and we enjoy them ourselves. Lord Bellevue's library is full of adventurous people. Yet you would have us believe this virtue is a vice. She held up another finger. Point the second. You said we had to be rescued by brave men of the noble class. In fact, we had already regained our bearings and made our way back to this valley. While Lady Delphinia and I are very grateful for everyone who came looking for us, we would have returned to the lodge within another twenty or thirty minutes, at the latest. And as you would know, if you had joined the rescue effort, there were as many women as men in the search party, and at least half were commoners from the house Drowling staff. At this, she turned slightly to look at Lord and Lady Drowling, both of whom sat stiff and staring in their chairs. The Viscount looked as if he might be on the verge of a stroke. "'My lord and lady, I do hope that you will extend my deepest thanks to your maids and footmen who joined the search. I would do so in person, but I do not know if I will have the opportunity.' Some brief flicker of emotion passed over Lady Drowling's face, but at this distance Honor could not identify it. The Viscountess gave one stiff nod. Third and last, Honor said, turning back to Tyrrell. There is this unseemly suggestion that my affections are for sale. Worse, that a man who is brave on my behalf is somehow entitled to them. I wonder if you would feel such a sense of obligation yourself, if someone had helped you out of a difficult circumstance. She paused just for a moment, to let that scandalous thought hang in the air. You may feel gratitude, certainly. You may show your appreciation to them in any number of ways. But would you feel obligated to let them put their hands on your body and lead you around a dance floor while you smiled and laughed and pretended to enjoy it? Scattered chuckles broke out around the room. Honor suspected that many of the guests were trying to picture the straight-laced Tyrrell being twirled around the room in a ball gown. Cousin Tyrrell's face, she noted, was turning crimson. His eyes were starting to protrude from their sockets. Honor spread her hands to encompass the room. I have no doubt that there are many lovely gentlemen gathered here tonight. I myself shared the company of Lord Anselm for some hours today, and found him quite pleasant. I believe we could become friends. But I must warn you all against any thoughts of romance where I am concerned. She took a deep, slow breath and half turned to address the room, though she kept Lady Drowling in the corner of one eye. My friends, I have learned a great deal about myself since I came to the city, and one of the most important things I have learned is that I cannot, must not, take a husband. My affections do not lie in that direction, and I will not marry a person I cannot love. Now the room filled with murmurs. Honor caught the half-whispered words, tribid 
and invert from some of the tables around her, but she kept her shoulders squared and her chin high. Noble Yasmin's words came back to her. When you are honest and unashamed, no one can use it against you. A flicker of motion in her periphery caught her attention. She turned back to face Tyrrell, but her attention was on Lady Drowling, who had slipped her right hand inside her left sleeve, reaching for that hidden casting dagger, no doubt. The woman's face was a mask, cold and emotionless, and her eyes were distant as she mouthed something under her breath. Lord Drowling rose to his feet. Enough of this, he said, his voice loud and stern enough to quell the hushed conversations that now filled the room. Lady Honor, laying such a challenge is a serious matter. I will not have you use it as a platform to promote your own deviant desires. Honor felt the power of Lady Drowling's spell rise up in a wave that crashed through her mind. It berated her for her deviance, for her presumption, for daring to speak out against a man as revered as Lord Tyrrell. Withdraw the challenge, it said, and submit to your elders. A headstrong wife is to be regarded as a dog. Honor listened to that voice, acknowledged it, but held it apart from her own ego. Her amulet glowed warm against her skin, and she saw herself kneeling at Natasha's side, dressed in only a leather collar her leash in her mistress's hands. She grinned in defiance. Delphinia keeps calling me puppy, she thought, and you call me a dog. But I know whose pet I am, Lady Drowling, and you are not she. She kept her eyes on Tyrrell as she spoke. I need no platform for my desires, Lord Drowling. I am quite content with them. I mention them only as context, to explain my cousin's errors and why I find them so offensive. Once Lord Tyrrell gives me his apology, we need say nothing more on the matter. That seemed to break Tyrrell out of his astonished silence. He scoffed. <laughs> you dare to demand an apology from me? It is you who ought to apologize, Lady Honor. He spat the word like an insult, then stalked up to the edge of the stage glaring down at her. At worst, I engaged in a bit of light-hearted humor, but you have twisted my words and made them out to be some sort of grave insult to your character. Even worse, you have humiliated your father and our entire house by flaunting your deviance before all these esteemed counselors. By all the gods, you truly are your mother's child. More gasps from the crowd, Yes, everyone here knew what had happened to Lady Sylvia. But that accusation no longer held the fear for her that it once had. She let the silence hang for a long, tense moment. I will not ask you to apologize for that last remark, she said, her voice calm, because I do not consider it an insult, and because it is the truth. I am Lady Sylvia's daughter just as surely as I am Lord Bellews. But I'm afraid I must insist on your apology for the rest, Lord Tyrrell, or else we can bring this matter before the council when we return to the city. This is foolishness, Lord Drowling said. We have a quorum of the councillors here, now, 
and they will all tell you that this challenge is nonsense. There. Lady Drowling's lips were moving again, her unseen hand wrapped around her arfana. Honor glanced quickly around the older men in the audience, saw the glassy-eyed look that washed over their faces. The Viscountess was extending her power to turn the crowd against Honor, to quash her challenge of Tyrrell. Exactly as Honor had known she must. Quickly, she reached up to her enchanted earring, pinched the back of the stud three times, and tapped the stone. The piece of metal quickly grew hot against her ear, and she pulled it out and cast it to the ground before it could burn her. A flash of yellow-green light washed through the room from the point of impact, shockingly bright. And then the members of the audience began to groan, convulsing in their seats. Honor and Delphinia were unaffected. So were Tyrrell and the Drownings. Everyone else was gripped with the same sudden terror that had nearly incapacitated Honor— as their brains belatedly responded to the Drowling's mental attack. Tyrrell and the Drowlings looked around at their audience, eyes wide and mouths agape. They stared at Honor, who was standing erect and unaffected, and at Delphinia, who rose from her chair and went quickly and calmly to the front doors of the hall. They were apparently too stunned to say anything as Delphinia opened those doors wide, and a troop of guards in House Hassan livery marched inside. They were followed by four squads of Metamore City police constables, and then by Duke Thomas himself, who strode across the threshold like a conquering warlord. Wizard Araba strode beside him, her own Arthana in her hand, its blade glowing with yellow-green energy. She made a slashing gesture and spoke a word of power, and small puffs of smoke rose up from behind paintings and tapestries all over the room— the Drowling's spell sigils being destroyed from within by Araba's counterspell. Up on the stage, Lady Drowling swooned and slumped forward against the table. The voice in the back of Honor's mind splintered into a thousand discordant notes, and then vanished. The members of the audience reacted in a variety of ways, gasping, sobbing with relief, or just staring at the Duke and his escort in dumbstruck silence. One person fainted. Lord Drowling, Duke Thomas called, his voice echoing so loudly through the room that Honor suspected that Araba must have enhanced it. The Majestrix and I have received word of illegal magic being practiced on these grounds. Lord Drowling, eyes wide, looked over at his stricken wife, then back at the Duke. Your Grace, I... Thomas held up a hand for silence. He got it. Everyone in the hall was watching him now. Wizard Ereba, he said. Can you confirm the nature of the enchantment that you disrupted? I can, your grace, Ereba said, with a glint of cold satisfaction in her eyes. It is the fifth theorem of Hermogenes, as I suspected, with a variety of suggestions laid over it. Mind control, Duke Thomas said, for the benefit of the guests who lacked a background in magical theory. Yes, your grace, Araba said. Duke Thomas approached the stage, his hooves beating a slow and regal drumbeat against the floor. He stopped in the middle of the lines of dinner tables and looked up in silence at Lord Drowling. His equine face was still difficult for Honor to read, but she thought he seemed more disappointed than anything. Lord Drowling, 
he said at last. To use mind magic in a time of peace is a serious crime against the Empire. To use it against your fellow counsellors is a violation of your oath of fealty. Your oath to me. Honor looked back at Drowling. He was shaking visibly now, but he bowed his head and said nothing. He did not look like a powerful wizard now. He looked like a man who had gambled greatly and lost everything. And you, General, Duke Thomas said, turning to face Cousin Tyrrell, your son has confessed to a great deal about this little retreat and what you had hoped to accomplish. When the constables have questioned you to their satisfaction, you both will be brought before the council to face its judgment. He paused, then added, A hero of the Empire should know better, sir. Cousin Tyrrell, too, bowed his head, but not before his jaw clenched tight and he shot a venomous look at Honor. A small part of her felt bad about seeing the old man humiliated in front of so many people. She suspected that holiday dinners at House Bellevue were going to be awkward for a while. Three pairs of constables came up onto the stage, and together they led the Drowlings and Tyrrell away. Lady Drowling had recovered her senses, but still looked woozy. The backlash from Erebus' counterspell must have been severe. Her head listed slightly to one side, and she seemed utterly mystified. "'My wards,' she murmured, like a woman coming out of a fever dream. "'My threshold. I don't understand.' How did the counterspell cross the threshold? She stopped abruptly and looked at Honor, her eyes going wide with realization. You, she hissed. She tried to lurch in Honor's direction, but the constables stopped her before she could tumble off the front of the stage. You did this. Carried that, that bitch's magic into my house. Her voice rose in fervor with every word, until my house became a shriek that hurt Honor's ears, even from a few yards away. Honor, though, held her head high and gave Lady Drowling a dignified, close-lipped smile. Yes, well, you brought your magic into my head, milady. As far as I am concerned, that makes us even. And that's the end of Chapter 15. Come back next time, when Honor and Natasha enjoy some well-deserved downtime. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Harper Lee said, Any writer worth his salt writes to please himself. It's a self-exploratory operation that is endless, an exorcism of not necessarily his demon, but of his divine discontent. So, let's see how much of that discontent I've been able to channel this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 31st, 2022, through January 6th, 2023. 
I wrote 3,462 words this week over the course of 5.5 hours for an average writing speed of 629 words per hour. I wrote on all seven days this week and have gone 17 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of December, I wrote a total of 17,056 words in 24 days, averaging 711 words per day. That ranks 33rd out of 92 months since I started this show. Compared to November, my word count increased by 102%, and my writing time increased by 116%. For the year of 2022 as a whole, I wrote a grand total of 92,095 words in 133 days, averaging 692 words per day. That's my lowest total for any year since I started this show, but it's pretty close to my performance in 2018, when I wrote 92,685 words in 146 days, and my per day count was actually higher this time around. I only finished one story in 2022, Out of the Shadows, which weighed in at about 21,000 words. I completed the first draft of that story on May 26th, and there were a bunch of weeks before that when I didn't make any progress. After that, I spent a big chunk of the year working on world building and story planning, which is important, but in retrospect, it also feels a bit like stalling for time. Things have gotten much better over the last two months, and that's a big reason why my word count for this year is as high as it is. I feel like I'm rebuilding good habits as a writer and rediscovering my creative spark or my self discipline or both. Going back to therapy has helped, I think. And the tools I'm learning there are helping me connect with Kevin and Ember and the journey that they're on. This week, my daily word counts decreased a bit as I got into one of those sections of the story where I need to think carefully about how much description to include and how much to compress events or draw them out. My wife Mel and I also went to a concert on Wednesday, and I had band practice on Thursday. And while I wouldn't want to give up either one of those experiences, it did cut into my writing time. But I still kept my regularly scheduled appointments with my word processor, and that's a huge step forward over where I was a couple of months ago. I'm still in chapter 15, looking for a good place to insert a chapter break, and the manuscript is over 42,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641 7153900, then enter extension 255 082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, 
attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.